This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. giving me the opportunity to do this, um, to, to moderate such an interesting panel. Um, so from, so uh, to your far left, my right, is um, Christine James. Christine is the Managing Director and Sub-Advisory Client Practice Leader at Wells Fargo Asset Management. Um, she received both an undergraduate degree in finance and MBA from Villanova. I believe that was years. Thank so, you. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> and she also serves on the advisory council for DMAGD in VSB. Uh, Next, we have Mary Naylor, who is the Marion S. Ware Professor of Gerontology and Director of the New Cortland Center for Transitions and Health at the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. Um, she's also the National Program Director for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Program. Um, which is an interdisciplinary nursing quality research initiative. And Dr. Naylor received her MSN and PhD from the University of Pennsylvania and her BS in nursing from Villanova. Wow. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> the person who set up the room, I think, decided to have a little fun and put the two Terry's together. And so um, first we have Terry Whitaker, who is a speaker brand strategist and truth teller at Terry Whitaker Unlimited Crossroads Studio. She is a senior branding, marketing, and business development executive with expertise in positioning, strategy, and identifying possible target markets, as well as defining key messages. Um, and Terry graduated from BSB. So I said to Mary after they read her thing, I said, wow, you're not too dumb. <laughs> and then they said I was the truth teller, so I said, hey. <laughs> And then um, finally, but certainly not least, of course, we have um, Terry Stickle, who is director um, at SAP Global Software and Technology Partner Program. Um, she has been with SAP for over 20 years, um, due with in the area of software marketing and product management experience targeted to large enterprises. Um, and Terry received her MBA from Villanova. And um, what I think, you know, when we talk about women in leadership, a lot of times, or at least now, currently, a lot of people's minds go right to leaning in and Sheryl Sandberg. And one of the, um, if you've read the book, one of the titles of the chapters, the subtitle is, What Would You Do If You Weren't Afraid? And I think if you look at the panel, you would not see any fear at all, um, because not only have they leaned in, if you will, but in their respective areas have pretty much grabbed the bull by the horns. And so what we want to do today is to kind of pick their brains, get their expertise, hear a little bit about their leadership um, experiences, successes, challenges, and um, see if we can also get a little advice on um, you know, those, um, I think, you know, no matter what we do, we can all aspire to be leaders, um, better leaders, and so how can we go about doing that? So just to make sure we are all on the same page, we're all talking about the same thing, I first want to throw out the question, what is leadership? And anyone can jump in. Truth teller. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So for me, leadership is about, I, I encompass it in just saying talking your talk, which really comes down to having a vision 
and be able, being able to communicate that vision that then is, inspires people to actually want to follow you. So you can be in a position of authority and not be a leader, and you can be at the back of the bus and, and be a leader. So that's the way I look at it. So I'm, I'm going to build on that because I agree entirely with the truth teller. I think that uh, <laughs> leadership is trying to anticipate and galvanize people to think about future possibilities while at the same time confronting today's realities and problems. And I think it's a very special kind of person that can have that forward uh, path and still think about getting through today. And I'd say another, uh, within leadership, our responsibility towards finding talent, nurturing talent, uh, helping others by removing their obstacles to success. So, you know, taking what you've accomplished and helping others do the same, but with, an auth with authenticity as you do it, because that allows people to want to take your lead and uh, want to take your advice. And I sort of look at it actually building on most of what you guys said, but uh, bringing out the best in others. Um, I've met and had the good fortune of working with many very strong women who were leaders, and I found along the way that they, they took the time to spend with people and listen to them and find out what their passions were and then help them succeed and get to where those individuals are trying to go. And many times the leader will coalesce naturally, um, and it doesn't have a thing to do with your job title. So, because there was so much agreement or consensus, um, I wonder if there has been something in each of your experiences that is that maybe maybe there are some common themes or some common experiences that have influenced that. Um, view or perspective on what leadership means. So, you know, of course, I read your bio, but if that does not give all of the, the meat and goodness uh, to who you are. So could you talk a little bit about, you know, your leadership journey or your leadership experience? I'll start off by saying uh, innately, I was an only child uh, raised by older parents. So I was pretty much the boss from an early age. <laughs> so, so leadership I considered to a certain extent inbred. My ability to sort of command a room and figure out what needed to get done and let's just set a strategy and let's go do it. But my mother reminded me that you do need to take a back seat to people once in a while. And that was a wake up call at a very early age to say it isn't all just about me. And that was a turning point in deciding that in, at the leadership was a responsibility. And I did find that people looked to me to lead because lots of people aren't by nature leaders, they're followers, so there's somebody in the room has to take charge. But it was so important when you had that role to be empathetic, to consider everyone, and to try to solicit feedback and be inclusive and uh, try to bring out the best in others. So that started at a very early age. Well, I, I certainly can't sit in this building, which I never sat in when I was an undergraduate uh, at the College of Nursing without saying what I say almost every time I'm invited back, which is uh, how important foundations are. Foundations 
being uh, parents who believe tremendously in your capacity to do whatever you want to do, um, and also grounding that in a great set of values. Uh, the College of Nursing did that for me. Uh, my parents and family did that for me. And then, and then you get to do whatever you want with it. So I am in a profession or discipline that uh, people, I don't know what conjured up in your mind when you heard the word nursing, but for me it was a, a, a real opportunity to kind of uh, get involved in something that I cared tremendously about. So passion is always a part of it. Uh, I early on, I think I was in my mid-20s when I was elected chair of a nursing program and I hadn't any idea what to do with that. And people knew that uh, and they invested in me and this is a common theme. Uh, the then president of the university uh, and allowed me and nominated me for a leadership fellowship where I got to study leadership uh, across the globe. I spent time studying with people from all walks of life oppression in Argentina and traveling through the Middle East and beginning to understand what it's like to be able to both have major issues that we can confront and then to walk in everybody else's shoes. It led me to work with the Senate Committee on Aging. It led me to come to Penn to build a program of research and now I get to sit on boards, as my children say. What does she do? She sits on boards. So one of them is the university board, Villanova University. But the others are boards where we hope, because of what we know, to influence future directions. So I sit on the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission. I sit on major boards that are saying how it is that we'll know when we get to quality and best use of resources in our country. These are great privileges. I mean, these are great privileges afforded me by a great foundation and people who all along the way invested in me. And I really think, as has ter the Terrys and Christine said, it's really my now responsibility to continually invest in others coming forward. So I totally believe in pay it forward. I think that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <that's> enough. <coughs> That, that was well said. Go ahead. I, I think the other thing is, as the best leaders that I've seen have been learners. They've always been open to listening to ideas and being creative. I work in a, a pretty fast-paced environment um, at SAP, and I think the one thing that's taught me is if you're going to lead, you have to be willing to change and rethink what you're doing depending on how the circumstances change. And so I think a good leader is one who does learn from others, who is kind, and who realizes along the way the people that they're bringing along are going to fail. And when they do, they have a learning lesson. And sometimes your failures teach you more than your success, as hard as they are. But um, I would just keep in mind that a really good listener a really good learner um, and someone who's kind. I mean, those are attributes of, of leadership where people will want to work for you. So I, 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 I will just say one other thing, because I don't consider myself a leader, and I think um, not everybody is a leader in the traditional sense. And I would say I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a leader. I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm a little bit of a renegade, and. I don't really see myself as a leader, but you do, you do have privileges no matter where you are, 
to be grateful and to try to shift, even if your pond, even if it's a small pond, you know, to shift the way that people look at that small pond or to, you know, I coach a lot of other women entrepreneurs and I just see such a huge shift in the way that women entrepreneurs are doing business. So don't necessarily think of leadership as just one particular path and that always means that you have a bazillion followers. So I wanted to um, follow up on, on something Terry said because um, there was a, an article in Forbes a few years ago, like two or three years ago, and it said, it was called Why um, Psychopaths Make Good CEOs, right? <laughs> and there's been a number of studies that show that if you look at kind of the characteristics or traits of CEOs or a lot of people in the C-suite and those who might be psychopaths, because uh, there's no other good word to say that, um, or a good other way to say that, but they have similar, there's a significant degree of overlap in the characteristics and the traits. But just because someone is in a C-suite or an uh, executive does not mean that they're an effective leader. And so that's why I wanted to kind of circle back because adding that kindness, we probably don't hear that a lot, that being you know, um, a leader involves being kind and even more so being an effective leader. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to maybe see if we could dig down a bit deeper in that to find out you know, what are, we heard about, you know, being kind or um, really investing in people or um, being a learner, et cetera. What are those, those skills or those characteristics that really characterize an effective leader? So not just, you know, somebody who has a, has some kind of positional power, but someone who can really do all of those things and marshal folks around the vision, as you said. Well, in particular, since we're all here talking about women leaders, one of the uh, traditional characteristics women bring to the table that make us some of the most effective leaders is our empathy. Our ability to appreciate and understand others and where they're coming from. And empathy is what I found in some of the, the best leaders I've worked with is their uh, insightfulness and understanding of the people around them. And that's, and their willingness to compromise and to bring consensus and to not just dictate, um, but to collaborate. And that's another key word, that women are very good collaborators. So I'm going to be a little self-interested here because starting on Thursday, I teach my Challenges of Leadership in Global Organizations mm -hmm. class. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we do a lot of, uh, it's a, it, I like to focus on skill development. And so if I'm really trying to develop these leaders who have empathy, what, what, how do we do that, right? How do we, um, if I'm thinking about my own kind of self-development and growth, what are some of those ways? Is that something that people naturally have, or how do you get that higher level of empathy? I think to a certain extent, some of it is innate, but as I said before, you know, my initial story, I actually wasn't kidding. I had to learn early on as a child that I had a tendency to be selfish because I was an only child, because the world revolved around me. And it wasn't until I had a wake-up call, it was sort of one of my favorite little stories. I was 16 years old on a vacation with another only child who was downright a brat to her parents. And I looked at her... And I thought, you know, as the guest, you can't behave that way. And I realized in that moment, wow, that's what I do. And from that point home, I came home, I apologized to my parents. I said, I am never going to be that difficult to be around again. 
And that was when I developed the sensitivity that it isn't all about me and that I see the world through my eyes, but everybody has their own movie. And that's one of the skills you start to build is that, you know, we were talking about this earlier at dinner. You know, you have to, 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 just, to learn that ability to, to respond versus react and take that gap to stop, to listen, to uh, try to acknowledge what the other person is experiencing because they're not experiencing the world the same way you are. And that's one of those key things that helps leadership and in life. And I, I would add to that. Um, I, I have uh, worked with great people at my company and I've worked with difficult people at my company and I treat each differently a little bit. I think when you look at leadership, you have uh, leaders that are people-oriented, and you have leaders that are task-oriented. Sometimes when you get someone who's been given a job and they're task-oriented, they'll, they'll, and maybe this is what you do, is you give task-oriented leaders to people to deal with it, right? I've got some tasks to get done that need to be done right now. Um, and you figure out, I think, as she said, you know, you can't control all the things that are going to happen to you during the day, but you can control how you react to them. And if someone comes at you and is very aggressive, you don't have to be aggressive back, right? As a leader, you know you can step back and say, why is this person doing this? You know, and ask yourself the questions and walk through, and then use clarifying questions to kind of calm them down and get them back on track. So that, that's one thing that you have to practice a lot, and maybe that's a good class exercise. Mm -hmm. The other thing that creates uh, understanding of different people's challenges is to do different things, you know, to live in different places, to have different jobs, to travel, to have other experiences. And so I would ask maybe some of your students to bring some of their other experiences into the party, if you will, into the conversation. Because when you think about people who you know, have only done things a certain way, they don't know that there might be another way to skin the cat. And so if you're, not, if you're not sort of coming to the table with the way they thought you would, there, that creates a little bit of a disconnect. So every time you can bring more diversity, and I know we're going to talk more about why women leaders are important, but diversity itself is what, we're, what really is important. Women, men, age, old, young, people of color, people of you know, dis different immigrants, every, everything brings a richness that helps um, for people to be more empathetic. And don't discount humor. Oh, <laughs> the, okay? the, the best. Because honestly, when things are the worst, yes. and when you have a bad day, and you're going to have them, you know, I know those of you that are going to graduate soon. How many people are graduating soon? No. Yeah, um, a couple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, you know, you're going to be challenged, and you're going to have... Uh, incredibly uh, challenging moments. You might be on a project that goes south. I don't know what it could be, but I mean, anything could happen. And it's the, really the ability to bring in some humor into this you know, moment and say, we're going to get through this. I mean, a good leader will allow those bumps to happen and then get over them. You know, and I use humor a lot. Helps a lot. <laughs> well, since we started, um, you know, the panelists made a distinction between the skills um, that maybe leaders just need to have in general versus those that um, 
women have that may particularly you know, serve us well in, um, in the world, what would you say is um, the biggest challenge for women when thinking about being a leader? Either aspiring to be leaders or as you're in it. What are, what are some of those challenges? And if you would be willing to maybe share an example um, of something, you know, a particular challenge maybe you had, some bump that came up and how you got over it. But, but what are those things that, that, that we have to face? Um, because I think a lot of times, you know, when you hear about women in leadership, people always want to attach work-life balance to it. Like, that's the only thing. It's women, you know, if you want to be a leader, you got to figure out how to, you know, take care of your family at the same time. But, but there's other things we know. So what, what might be some of those um, challenges in your, from your perspective? I would say, and it's only relatively recently, is, you know, despite being 23 years of my career, I had very rarely conflicted with anyone. Um, it had been this seemingly uh, heavenly trajectory of, leadership growth and opportunities and you know because I was you know working well with others I had you know built my relationships and um, you know only recently started to conflict with others and I've had trouble trying to understand why I'm conflicting with them and so from a skill building set again it's not my nature to conflict and to effectively manage those situations to take the step back and you know, if somebody's coming aggressive, to not be aggressive and to, you know, try to, you, I have learned you always win more flies, or, yeah, with, with honey than vinegar. <laughs> um, that, you know, aggressiveness, you, you need to try to diffuse the situation, but it's trying to manage those conflicts that you have that are, frankly, at the senior levels, not, not amongst the people getting it done, but differences of opinion at the leadership level. Those, those are conflicts that I, even I today still have to work through. So I'm in a profession that is predominantly women. And uh, therefore, you would think we would not have any conflict. Any. <laughs> um, so I, I want to talk about two different perspectives. One is that in many of the uh, areas where I find myself, it's often I'm often the only woman. Uh, in a room of largely physicians or others. So there's the uh, capacity to think about how you influence what's happening in an arena where different professions are looking at the world very differently. Um, and then the second is that being a woman in a predominantly women's profession, um, you really have to think about how it is that you really can come to agreement or consensus or, and move forward in sometimes uh, conflicting within women gender issues. So I, I think the way that I've emerged from all of this is to place a real emphasis on relationships, on human relationships. Uh, there's just, I, I, we've had our team, uh, which is multidisciplinary and um, people from medicine and economics and all different walks of life are part of the work that we do. But I've learned that everything gets past it if you have a good human relationship. And people see you as a person of integrity. People see you for the work that you do and how much you care about that work. So those, um, and the human to human connection that is central, gets you through 
lots of very challenging, different perspectives on a, on, a, on a world that you need somehow to come together on. So I would encourage you to think that you know, women bring a perspective which is holistic and it's human, um, and I think that's great, but know that men bring that too. Um, and you have to figure out what's the issue here? How can I connect with everyone around the table to make it happen? I, I would kind of uh, just expand on that slightly in that I think sometimes, um, actually on both points, sometimes our greatest strengths in a certain situation can be our biggest weaknesses in another situation. Mm -hmm. And so you do need the, the great relationships and the integrity that you've built to help you when your strengths are not it, what's needed <laughs> in that particular moment, but someone else's. Yeah. So, um, so I had a situation just today where my best friend from Villanova Business School has um, her own company and I have my own company. And we teamed up on a project and it went today, south. The client called, what the hell, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, hmm, okay, let me see what's going on. You know, so, but I immediately knew that no matter what was going on, we would solve it together because she has integrity, I have integrity. The client also is, is a person with integrity that we already have a relationship with, and, and it's a bump. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it doesn't create anxiety, but it's not the kind of anxiety you would have if you didn't have all those <coughs> things in place, which really helps. Um, I have an uh, interesting story, I guess a success and a challenge. So at 20 some odd years of age, I was at Nutrisystem, part of the leverage buyout team, and I was charged to do a 30-90 mainframe conversion to client server when I had not taken yet a computer class. <laughs> Real problem. So the CFO said, <laughs> take great notes. Um, we spent uh, five years installing the software, every version, all across 2,000 stores. It was a pretty involved project. Um, the last night we went to do the computer conversion and the president had said, please call me if there are any issues. And um, we got through the conversion, everything cut over, and the mainframe died. Right like 30 minutes after we did the full cut over. And I was you know, kind of, should I call him? Or should I wait? And since everything had cut over, we'd been running parallel for three months, I didn't call him. And the next day, he cornered me in the office and said, I waited for your call all night. <laughs> I thought you'd call me. And I, I learned a great lesson. You know, when you have a win, share it with everyone. It's our win. When you have a problem, it's our problem, right? And it's the best leaders I've seen have found a way to recognize everybody who is part of the project. And that, for me, is a, you know, was a great learning lesson. So going forward, I made sure everyone got communicated to. Um, the president will never forget that. He still, every once in a while, calls me and reminds me. Uh, but, but I think the lesson learned is, if you're going to be a leader, you need to make sure you bring everybody into the group and you recognize their accomplishments as you're going through the project, and then you celebrate with them as you complete it. So thinking about this, so we, of course my mind's like racing, and um, there's, uh, when we 
sometimes when we hear about women in leadership, we hear that you know part of the reason that um, we may not have such a high representation of women in leadership is because women are not as self-promotional as men, for example. That we are more apt to say the we. We did this, we accomplished this, you know, and, and are more collaborative. But some critics or, or other, you know, leadership experts will say, you know, you've got to say, I've done this and I accomplished that. So, so how, how do we balance that? How do we balance the, you know, we with the I? So I think that there is absolutely nothing big that's going to get done in the future without we. Um, I, I, I think that if you think about what it is that you can do, where it's in your community, in your organization, in your church, it is always going to be about we. There is one of the big lessons years ago, I was sitting at a meeting, and it was my first time at the Senate Committee on Aging, and I was brought into a meeting where a group was coming to present their problem and seeking the help of uh, aging and finance and resolving it. And they were articulate, presented a beautiful case, much data, a set of solutions. They left, and so uh, we were turned to to say, how did they do? And I said, I thought they were fantastic. They were all the things. I heard what they had to say, I understood. And the people in the room said, they were terrible because they didn't present the problem in terms of how it is that their work influences other. They talked about it as their problem, not the fact that, they could, that, that a solution could be made that really would impact many, many, many more people. So I come down very strongly on the notion of we. Uh, we, we have to be nimble. We have to be able to recognize the contributions of others, but we also have to be humble enough to realize that the problems we're trying to fix are big, and it's going to require multiple people engaged in solving them. And I would I would agree that it's it really is a we. Anytime there's anything big, it's a we. But that but I think that there's a little bit of nuance on being able to also be clear about what value you bring. So if you want a promotion, if you want a specific, you know maybe you want to move or a position or you want to do something different, there's a self-awareness of the value you bring that isn't about being an egomaniac, but it's about owning the fact that you have tremendous value and, you know, it, you shouldn't have any um, shame in talking about it. Like, and uh, I think that's maybe a male-female thing that does seem to hopefully be um, maybe, maybe softening a little bit. I don't know. You, you ladies, tell me. I certainly look at my daughter. She doesn't seem to have any problem. <laughs> <coughs> you know. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe it is. Well, I don't. I don't. I, maybe this is good because we'd love yeah. to hear your. Uh, yeah. I think confidence is different. I mean, being able to communicate what you've contributed and is very important. I mm -hmm. do think that that. But when it comes to um, how is it that we say this problem got solved? It has to recognize everybody who contributed mm -hmm. to doing that mm -hmm. in order to make everybody rise, the boat rise, and all of us be able to address even the bigger challenges. So I think it might be semantics here, because yeah. I totally do believe that each of you should uh, recognize your own gifts 
and communicate them, uh, but when it comes to the, your role, make sure you're recognizing everybody else's along the way. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And the passion, the passion that you bring, I mean, people will pick up on your passion, they'll pick up on your energy, and if you feel confident, they feel confident about what you're saying, and it's logic-based. Um, much of software is obviously a lot of big projects happen, and they have to be broken down into these smaller work projects. So when you get a big assignment, you know, you need to break it down and then figure out which resources have the best capability of delivering on that assignment and let people buy into owning that piece of that problem, right? So, so does anyone else have a supplementary, complementary, contradictory perspective on this we or? I, I want to say something about the we versus the I. Mm -hmm. I think there's nothing worse than a figurehead who's been assigned a position of leadership that stands there after everybody around him has done all the hard work and they say, I did this and I did that. And I'm like, yeah. you didn't do anything. <laughs> exactly. You were just taking all the credit. The people that are standing behind you did all the work. And as, a, and as a team and as a leader, who wants to follow that person then? Because really they're taking all the credit and doing none of the work. Mm -hmm. So, so let me ask the panel if, if you have a perspective on this, because I think this issue comes up a lot. I know that I'll hear from, you know, the, the MBAs, et cetera, um, for advice on how to manage up. So how does that, how do, you, how do you do that when there's a situation when someone is taking the credit or saying the I, how, what may be an effective strategy or something useful to kind of deal with this situation when, when someone's not recognizing the weight? Well, that's a good time to review the scope of the project and all the different component pieces that you set out, and everyone who did different parts, okay. and, and to recognize. Um, also, I mean, the thing about leadership is I've met a lot of leaders that were great at managing up that were bad at managing people. Mm -hmm. yes. Right? They said all the right things to the guys upstairs, and, and I saw the faces of the people working for them and they weren't the right things to say, right? So you have to decide who you're going to follow. Even as a leader, you follow. Um, and you have to have faith in, in their ability to have the integrity and the, the vision to get to go where you want to go. And if you're not working for somebody like that, you need to make another decision and work for somebody else. That's actually, I think, what we were going to talk about, too, is sponsorship and kind of understanding who your allies are and making sure you have allies and relationships. It's really more about, it's not even allies, it's just people you connect with that you make sure that you kind of keep those connections and, and ask them, you know, maybe what's a better way that I can make sure that my contributions are recognized? Because it's it really is just... Usually it's just about somebody wanting to, you know, have a little uh -huh. more than what they've done. And usually, again, I am an entrepreneur because I couldn't do that very well. <laughs> <laughs> how, many of you have, how many of you have a career coach? Raise a hand. Do you have a career coach or have you ever looked at a career coach? And the only thing is I'm turning around a few years later and saying, <clears throat> you know what, I hope everyone chooses their passion and goes after that passion and, and that becomes where they go because you're going to spend a lot of your life there. And if you're, if you're picking something just, oh, I want to go into high tech just to make money, don't waste your time. 
because unless you're passionate about this, you'll never survive. I think one, who, did you say it was three weeks or four weeks? Or one of the gals I was talking to said, somebody came to SAP and about four weeks later, they said, wow, that's a lot of work. I'm, I'm yeah. gonna try and go back <laughs> you know, to my old job. Um, you've gotta have that passion and spirit for what you're doing and know that when you get out, you're gonna spend a lot of years doing it. And I started out as a financial analyst. I sat for the CPA. I thought I'd done all the right things. I got into accounting and I hated it. So I made a course correction and got an MBA at Villanova. <laughs> I, th I do think this is a critical point. I mean, I have, uh, have the great fortune of guiding uh, numbers of students, doctoral students, postdoctoral, undergraduates. And I, I always tell them, seek an environment that wants, uh, is a match for you. It's like students, find the college or university that's a match for you, that creates, that gives you the sense that the, the environment cares about you. Mm -hmm. um, and this idea of mentorship or sponsorship is, uh, whatever the language is, it's terribly important. Nobody makes it without people investing in them. And I think that if you, seek a culture that is a match for uh, a place that you feel cares about you as a human, not just the work that you produce, but uh, what it is that you can ultimately produce if given the right opportunities, if given the right nurturance. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it, I and walk away from places that don't. that don't, because it is, you will be miserable. I mean, uh, you will not be a happy camper I, I love this language of managing up. I, I don't even actually know what it means, but <laughs> if the people up there are, you know, they're not leaders if they're not recognizing mm -hmm. all of you and all that you bring. They are, they might be in a titled role, um, but they're not leaders in the sense of what I think we've been talking about, which is people who care about are inclusive of everyone who's on the team, staff and faculty and Students, everyone, everyone um, because that's when you get the best juice out of everybody, mm -hmm. when you make, and you give everybody a sense that we care about you. So. And I would say to that, um, I have been reading a lot recently, leadership is something I'm passionate about um, because it isn't a skill set we necessarily teach in the classroom. And so, you know, I've had many of these conversations with the dean and others of, you know, what do we do to cultivate leadership? Because it is a skill set, and not everyone has it. And so how do you get those intangibles and develop them in the people that have uh, the best opportunity to succeed? And in the research that I've done around it, there is a subtle difference I've now learned, only recently, between mentorship and sponsorship. I have been very fortunate in my career to have had a lot of mentors that I didn't recognize were actually also my sponsors. That every senior leader I had worked for was effectively putting in a good word for me, recognizing what I was contributing, giving me every opportunity. And so there was this terrific trajectory to my career. And then there was the 08 market crisis. And you know, you're acquired by another firm and you've got to rebuild that that sponsorship and I only recently found out that I no longer my boss retired I no longer had sponsorship and I didn't realize how critical it, a, a component that was for my future career path 
in, in advancing in my leadership roles that without that sponsorship, I've got to take a step back and rebuild relationships. So to be clear, you can get mentorship from even outside the company. You can have a coach like me. You can have um, another mentor, even another business person who's older. You can have all kinds of mentor, but a sponsor is someone who is in the culture in which you're in saying, wait a minute, go look at her, go look at her. So that, that gives you just the definition of those two, which could yeah. be helpful. I think also to make just another, add another nuance, I think mentors can be at, at any level. Anyone. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. A mentor peer mentor a, yeah, or peer younger. Peer mentor, subordinate yeah. mentor, um, you know, around different things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, separating that mentor versus the sponsor who is going to have that power or the ability to kind of make you through and help exactly. guide you yeah. mm -hmm. uh, through, a, through a certain environment. And then, I'm, I mean, did anybody, so now that we've done the mentor as a sponsor, anybody want to talk, you want to talk about the coach? Um, because you mentioned the career coaching. Well, I mean, it, it's really understanding your, where your passions are and what you really love doing. Because if you stick with what you love doing, you'll always find your way and you'll be much happier at what you're doing. So um, looking for... Um, and, you know, it, it could be as simple as when you get into a company like SAP, finding the network, the women's network. We have a big women's network at SAP. And starting to talk with some of the people that are directors and VPs. Um, and just, you know, catching a cup of coffee with them. And just finding out how did they do it? What were, what were their tricks? What were, you know, what were the, what are the keys? Um, and, and also understanding what to avoid. Um, there's a lot of pitfalls, you know, and if you're a woman, you're going to be expected to work twice to three times as hard as the guys. Just a fact. And it hasn't changed, I don't think, much. At least in my company, it hasn't. But once you're respected and once you've shown your medal, you, you earn that privilege of being, you know, considered or asked on some certain projects of being included. Um, when, when challenges come, you know, but it takes a lot and it's going to take everything you have, you know, sometimes just to get through the challenges that they put in front of you. Um, I think my first two or three weeks at SAP, I was just trying to figure out this thing called Sapanese, which is everything has three initials. Right. And you better do <laughs> something about the SCM because the PLM and the, and the PPSD are not working properly. <laughs> it doesn't matter what, kind of what industry, they all have their acronyms. Yeah, I mean, but, but they're, they're going to challenge you in ways and they're also going to um, test you to make sure um, that they understand where your limits are and what you can do. That's why being kind and being gentle with people and understanding that not everybody will do what you do. You've got an MBA from Villanova, or you know, you, you've got maybe a, a special training in one area or something that no one else can do. If someone else is at an equal job to you trying to do it, help them. You know, give them some insight to see if you can help bring them along. The weakest link in the chain is, you know, for the whole team is as far as you can go. Whoever that weakest link is, bringing them up a little bit We'll bring the whole team up further. So, so if we if we think more about this, you know, what we can do. What do you see yeah. any any 
opportunities for us as, as women, as, as female leaders. That, you know, if we, we just look at the landscape, be it business or entrepreneurship or nursing or whatever, you know, what are those opportunities that are out there for us? Well, we have to be more fearless. Well, I'll start also yeah. saying that the entrepreneurial landscape is tremendous. It's where it's at. There are 57% of uh, female entrepreneurs just just went over the 10 million revenue mark. Now, I know that doesn't sound like a, a lot in the scheme of things, but that's really big. Now, the downside is, is that all the rest are under like 100,000. So, you know, there's this, this huge sort of middle gap. <coughs> but if you look at the entrepreneurial landscape, it's a lot, it has a lot more activity. There's a lot more angel investment. There's a lot more research being done that shows how women are great at startups, how their skills are really well matched. And therefore, the angel investors who are no dummies are just paying attention to the research and going like, okay, let me see what the women have to offer. So I would highly recommend anybody who's Again, you have to be a certain type, but if you feel like you might have that in you, then now's your chance. Go for it. And there, there's no actually no limit. So we, our, our team started a, uh, a company that failed, uh, on, you know, within a couple of months. There's no limit though to what you can do with great ideas that are based on research and knowledge, et cetera. So we uh, went through every. Uh, I think every Wharton student was writing a business plan for our company because it wasn't the traditional widget or drug or whatever, um, and and they all wanted to be a part of this startup, uh, and it took about ten years. So we started again and again, mm -hmm. and you don't, uh, you know, whatever field you're in, it doesn't matter whether or not you're in an organization or a university, whatever, that you can be an entrepreneur. We have. Uh, uh, really capitalized on the notion that people are out there waiting for your ideas mm -hmm. and waiting for you to present them. Uh, so that's how I spend a good part of my time these days, is presenting ideas for companies that we've built from these. Uh, so you, any, wor any world you're in, as long as you have an idea that advances somebody else's world, um, then you get a chance to be a part of that. And I would encourage that for those of you, at least as a sideline in your career, to think Definitely. about this path. It's, it's joyful um, and full of pain. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, the only thing you have to have is resilience. You yes. totally resilience. have to have totally resilience, because you've got to be able to fail and fail and fail. fail. And fail. It's sort of like driving on Lancaster Pike right now. Exactly. <laughs> the potholes exactly. are Just, everywhere. Yeah, you just got to keep dodging. It's great. You just got to keep dodging. Sometimes fall right in them. Yeah. 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 And, and you know what? Just be like, all right, there was a good big one. Yeah. Speaking of resilience and, and something we were talking about earlier, women by nature, you know, we've got to be open to feedback and to, to being willing to self-evaluate and take an honest look. We tend as women to get defensive um, when we're, you know, attacked, but we need to step back and use our mentors, use our our colleagues, our friends, to, to take honest assessments of ourselves because until we understand who we are, what our values are, uh, what are the things that, you know, are, you know, unmovable, they're just part of who we are, um, that will help us 
going forward in our ability to execute, in our ability to know that we're in the right environment to succeed, that we have a culture fit. Um, and it also is the opportunity because we may fail and we have to take a step back and say, you know what, that relationship didn't work, how can I fix it? How can I make that better or is it so, is it, or is it such that, you know, this just isn't the right environment, I need to go do something else. So it's always being honest and self-aware with yourself. with yourself. And that's going to allow you just not only just be a leader, but to succeed. So in, in this, this um, honesty and, and self-awareness, and you offered some other kind of, um, you know, advice to what, what to do. Be, be fearless, be, be um, resilient, etc. What are, um, what advice would you give, you know, aspiring leaders? So, so what, you know, I know when I teach executives, they're like, give me something right now that I can take with me. And so what are those things that we can take with us as, when, as we, you know, prepare to, you know, um, wrap up and go up there and be the best leaders we can be? What, what can we do? The, my very, I was hired at Fidelity Bank in a management training program, and the mentor that was assigned to me told me two things on day one of my career post-graduation, and they have remained true to this day. The only thing constant is change and follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. Every time I didn't follow up, that's when something went wrong or there, something failed. And my ability to adapt to the change has allowed me to stay 23 years at the same company, but it's five different banks later. <laughs> I, can, uh, I can give you uh, a similar story from my uh, internship. I went to Arizona State undergrad, and I got a full-ride scholarship from Conoco. And I went to work building pipelines. It's kind of impossible, but I was building pipelines a pipeline from Cheyenne, Wyoming to Denver, Colorado. And um, the guy that I worked for um, impressed upon me that I needed to be thorough, accurate, and complete. <laughs> <laughs> and that everything I did, because, you know, with pipelines, you can't make a mistake, right? You could blow up the pipeline. You could completely derail the project. And you know what? That thorough, accurate, and complete, I can still hear it. These days, when, I, when I'm about to turn a project in, I'm like, okay, is it thorough? Is it accurate? Is it complete? So I guess if I was giving you some wisdom, I'd say definitely make sure your work product is really good. Don't rush things. Um, I'd say be kind. Uh, bring out the best in others that you're working with. Um, and I would give back. And the way I would give back is get involved in some outside groups where you can do good to help people. You'll get to know a ton of people. I'm on the board of Young Life, I'm on the, doing a lot of other things that, you know, trying to help people. Just, just do your best because the more experience you can get in working with teams, the better you'll be as a leader. And, uh, and you'll learn from other people, which I hopefully I always will continue to learn from other people. So, but be fearless. I would say, um, I've always had a lot of fear, but but being fearless or or taking steps anyway, being courageous even when you have fear is is definitely a thing that you kind of learn as you go. And if you really want to get somewhere, you'll have enough passion to the courage will come. But one of the things I think as a young person, 
um, is to really think about what is true success for you. Because we have, as a society, our, it's, like, it's like should, 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 should. Okay, you've got a bazillion of them. And I think it's so easy for all of us to fall into that, what it looks like on the outside, what success looks like. If you don't know what it is for you, you won't know when you got there. Or you might get there and then go, well, shit, this wasn't, wasn't so great. You know, I wish I would have done something else. So think about what it is for you. And don't forget to have fun because you can be really successful and then not really have had a good life. So, you know, lighten up. <laughs> Enjoy it. It's a, it's a great ride. So have a good time. I actually was going to start exactly where she ended. I think uh, I, this is probably a function of aging in place. But uh, and there was like a, a wonderful piece. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use that. Believe me, and I am a living, breathing example. But there was a wonderful piece yesterday in the New York Times on wisdom, and um, I think there are many corollaries uh, between leadership and wisdom. And it talked about the the piece talked about you know uh, reflection on what. You know why it is that we exist. We, uh, and I think it is to embrace life. It's to embrace whatever uh, gets your. Is it the language say mojo? Is yeah. That what it is? Whatever yeah. gets your mojo. I said to one of my young faculty, <laughs> when my mojo disappears, tell me because I want to be out of here. But I, you need to keep this sense of this is like your one time. Do things you love. Uh, and and be guided by what it is that gives you a sense of joy, uh, and you will find you'll get professional uh, accomplishment from that and personal satisfaction uh, from that, uh, and you'll do something meaningful. But make sure you stay true to whom you are and what you believe is most important for you. Uh, believe me, it's a wonderful journey. Stay open to all of it. Be nimble. Don't think that there's only one path, because uh, there are thousands uh, to be able to be, be accomplish what you want to do. And I think we're pretty good examples of there's just not one way to get there from here. So as, as moderator, I have the ability to monopolize the time with my questions. So um, I wanted to see if um, anyone in the audience had any questions. I saw a hand up there. I may have we may have answered it, but if not, please feel free. Hi, my name is Doris Thomas. Um, I graduated from the class of 1992, Illinois School of Business, and I'm looking for sponsors. So any corporations that are out there, I need everyone's business card at the end because I'm definitely going to stay in touch with you. We're going to create some fantastic new television programming. So, so one thing, let me say about this, just so we can um, go back to, you know, this is the professor and me. The sponsors are in your, in, in your work environment. So, no, not in my situation. What do you mean, the mentor? Sponsor. She means sponsor. Within her, within, oh, you mean monetary sponsor. Oh, yeah, okay. Sponsor. Okay. <laughs> She's all right. That was a different kind of sponsor, yeah. She wants us writing a check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other questions? Get consensus from your board of directors. Mm -hmm.
I'm, I'm an identical mirror twin. Mm. I have a twin sister who is my other half board of director. <laughs> yes. That's so I, it's easy to call her and then she just dispels and she's totally honest with me so I know for sure that it's probably good advice. So, yeah. I would say yes. I have trusted advisors um, and I would definitely say do, you don't want to get everyone's opinion on everything. A lot of women do that. Like, oh, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Really consider who your trusted advisors are and then just disregard everyone else because there's going to be people who tell you you can't do anything. So keep that small. I think a board is too, too big. <laughs> so I took your question a different way, and this is probably off, but everything we do, we have advisors uh, who represent all the stakeholders that we are trying to reach. So every research project, any anything that we're doing, we bring together, and we bring together people that are highly going, we anticipate will be highly critical um, unless we convince them along the way and they're part of the journey. So I, I don't know if you need a board of directors, <laughs> but I do think that whatever big thing you want to get into, uh, get people around the table whom you want to influence uh, right at the beginning, uh, not at the end of the project, not mm -hmm. at the end of whatever it is, but get them to be partners with you right from the beginning. So I don't think that's exactly answering your question, but uh, building on what was said. But actually one other point there is have them help you define what success equals. One of the biggest problems yes. with projects is scope creep. Mm -hmm. So if at the beginning of a project you can get them to say, hey, if you get 500 new partners, you win. And then you work towards that till you get it. And then you say, hey, we won, right? That's that's important. And they say, oh, but we really meant 700. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But no, I mean, getting that and, yes. and actually managing up, that's a good way to manage up, too, because they can't get involved in all the detail, but they do know those KPI, the key performance indicator numbers. And so if you get that agreement early on as to I'm going to work on this with this team, and if we get to 500, we're there. Right? So that's what, yeah. Counsel or, or wisdom that 
this person's not going to agree with me. So, you know, I've got two people, maybe one who I know is going to agree with me, and I can get them to, you know, let, you know, I can just get them to make me, it's the feel-good answer mm -hmm. versus somebody who's really going to, you know, give me a, a straight shot. No, I like to give them the plus and the minus. And sometimes your gut can, uh, you can have tr head trash. So just be careful of, uh, you know, of, of being in a, in a place where you're, you can't quite trust your gut. You know, there, there are those times. And sometimes, uh, especially when you want to react, we kind of, we kind of talked about this before. Some, sometimes you get triggered by something. And you want to react because your gut is saying react. And I've followed my gut and been incorrect. Um, in, in, in particular, when I react, like when somebody says something and I feel like, well, they're wrong, damn it, I'm the truth teller. <laughs> and so they need to be told that they're wrong, you know? It, it wasn't always appropriate. So, but, but I think you're right. When yeah. you sit with it, it's different, right? When you sit with it and you really take your own pulse. Mm -hmm. That's different from a gut response. I just want to clarify that because I, I, I thought, yeah. I thought the same way. Yeah. And I was glad people said the negative. Right. And my only point in speaking to higher level than my level of, you know, delegated authority was I can take any decision mm -hmm. as long as it's informed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's great. That's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Good. I was wondering if you guys had any specific about female leaders or role role models that you guys look to and what you learned from them. Uh, I absolutely did. I uh, arrived at Penn, uh, and I was a lowly assistant professor, but brought in as an associate dean in a school at a time that was really challenged. Uh, it, meaning not necessarily seen as the jewel in the university's crown that we wanted to be. And so I remember uh, Claire Fagan was dean at the time, and she brought me in and she said, well, we, we have to fix this. And I came in a couple days and I said, well, here I have this plan, a detailed plan about what we can do. And she said, to, no, no. She said, you go out and do it. <laughs> Come back to me when it's done. And we did. We did. We built programs, joint degree programs between nursing and law and nursing Morton. We built international programs. But it was, she was someone that just guided and mentored and invested in. Uh, she brought me over my first week to the Leonard Davis Institute and said to all of these people that are around the table, she's going to need a lot of help but she'll be worth it. And that's, wow. I mean, so, you know, yeah, we've, I've benefited and still do enormously from women leaders uh, who get what it's like uh, for women. And while we don't talk about work-life balance, they get that, you know, family and other things in your life are very important as they've been to me. Raising three daughters has been very important to me along the way. So I think, um, it, you know, I've been the beneficiary of, of exquisite investment by women leaders. I would agree. In, early in my career, I had a woman, um, and the women, I started at Nestle, food company, brand management, and the women were scary that were actually in the positions of power because they really were tough, you know, to have gotten there because it was a man's world. 
And so I was very fearful of them, much more so than the men, because, you know, they must be really tough. So I was in the bathroom with, with the woman that was kind of this director in my division, and, and uh, I said to her, I feel like my whole life would be different if I were 10 pounds thinner. And she turned to me and she said, I agree. And I was like, oh, okay. Tower, cool. So she became my, from that second on, she was my, you know, sponsor. Because it was just one of those things where you're just being who you are and, and somebody else is, tells you, is, tells you yeah, yeah, I like that. So Brene Brown, if you don't know, if you haven't seen her on a TED Talk, she is kind of my hero. Um, have you seen her? Brene Brown, B-R-E-N-E -E Brown. And she talks about vulnerability, which is sort of the opposite of leadership. But if you can't be vulnerable, I don't think you will be a good leader in the upcoming years. So, pay it, so um, you'll love her TED Talk. I think that would, but this Celeste Armas, she she took me under her wing as well. So, it's good. I guess I have an uh, interesting story. So I'm at Vert, I mean at uh, Nutrisystem, and um, I go to work for the CFO, and she happens to be the third woman to graduate Harvard. Whoa! And I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> like, oh no! And we have to do this big project, and we have to get three million dollars for the new computer systems. And I spent hours doing spreadsheets and pages and documenting. I brought in all this stuff and put it down. She looked at me and she said, okay, let's start on the presentation. I said, okay. She said, I just want to ask him one question. If we only knew. If we only knew what our cost of sales really was. If we only knew what our HR. And she boiled it down to the most simplistic presentation but the guys we were giving it to were the owners, and they weren't into all those spreadsheets and all that detail. And it was a great lesson for me because it, the, one of the brightest women I've ever met boiled it down to just one to two simple things. And all through my career as I do presentations, I always kind of think back on that and go, okay, how can I simplify this a little bit? That's a good one. That's really good. Because Mark Twain always said, I would have made it shorter if I had more time. <laughs> so, it, and that's really true. Because if you can boil it down and simplify things and really get to the essence, it's a lot more powerful than if you go blah, blah, blah. Maybe we'll tackle one last question. Yeah. Uh, your observations, I don't know if you watch uh, Undercover Boss. <laughs> Yeah. But it seems like there's always the same common thread about people that work for, for the leaders. The leaders are totally disconnected from their contribution. So what's your observation, John? Well, you can only do it one person at a time. You, you have to start by spending time with the people that you're working with on the team and making them feel good about what they're doing. You know, and I, I, I've watched Undercover Boss sometimes at night, you know, like after a long day, you just need to break away and watch something <laughs> innocuous. Um, but I think it's a wake-up call for a lot of these senior managers at companies to actually go and, you know, dig ditches and serve food and really understand what it's like to be on the other side of the of Because many people come in, and that's the other thing that happens at large corporations, 
they tend to hire people in into the, the C-suite. They don't tend to always promote people up into the C-suite. And many of them come in, and they'll spend a year or two, and then they'll be gone one day. Just my number doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, you realize that they just didn't have the impact with the team to be able to stay and, and have a real long career. And then you look in the company, and, and you should do this. When you get to whatever company you're going to be at, find the people that you think you have the most, uh, uh, the highest opinion of. Find those people, listen to those people, and see. And, and you can discern, after talking to a lot of people, you can discern pretty quickly um, who you're feeling comfortable with that would be a great leader and who won't. And it won't have anything to do with their job titles. So I think this is a, a critical point. I, mm -hmm. Leadership has to occur throughout an organization or community. It, it, it can't just be vested in the C-suite. And I do think that we have to celebrate more of accomplishments of people throughout organizations. And so leaders in different units can begin through all of the social media and other ways we have now to tell stories, to be able to, in very brief times, celebrate the accomplishments. And that brings attention. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, you know, the responsibility is not just always this way down. It's all the way up and down that we communicate what people have <coughs> been able to contribute that's part of the mission and goal. So I haven't watched the show. <laughs> and say thank you to people all the time, right. especially yeah. the people that are at my front desk and the people that are the door people and the people that are taking care of the food. Um, you'd be surprised at the response you get sometimes but just saying thank you, and they so much appreciate it, you know, and you're brightening <coughs> their day. Right? Because however you come into work, and however excited are, you are about what you're doing, you will rub off on everybody. Uh, you know, your attitude, your passion, your strength, um, your commitment, it, people pick up on it like this. So just say thank you a lot. So... So hopefully um, this has been as insightful for you as it has been for me. Um, what I learned today that in order to be an effective leader, I need to be a learner, I need to be open to ideas, I need to be willing to change, I need to be kind, I need to have empathy and be collaborative, I need to have the ability to respond and not with people who are different, and also respond accordingly as the context requires. I need to be able to deal with diversity, but also be humorous. I need to allow bumps to happen, but also deal with them accordingly. I need to be a person of integrity, be agile and nimble, and also recognize the contributions of others. So as I leave here today, some of the things that I'm going to do, I'm going to uh, know who my allies, mentors, and sponsors are, and actually use them. I'm going to uh, possibly, if I don't know what my passion is, um, seek career coaching, also be open to... Um, seeking feedback, but do some self-evaluation, but I'm also going to make sure that I'm continuously following up. Yes. But very largely, one of the things that I have to keep in mind is that I need to know what success is and find an environment that's nurturing for me. I need to be clear about the value I bring. I need to have an entrepreneurial mindset. I need to decide who I'm going to follow. I also need to be fearless or courageous, be thorough, effort, and complete, but more importantly, I need to embrace life. That is good. That was well done.